homeownership is turning me into an old man and like the one that's like get off my lawn you know so like <laughs> what, one of the things i'm really excited for you when you when you finally close on your house is if you become the like if you start caring about your lawn the same way that i do and every other suburban dad does i won't well, you've I already you already said to me you're like I'm excited to landscape the backyard. And I was like, oh, yeah, just wait so until all that. Have to mow a lawn. That's yeah. the point, though. <laughs> I told Lauren, I was like, how would it just be better if we just like rocked our lawn like an Arizona lawn and just had just like rocks everywhere instead of grass? But I should have taken a picture of the place and sent it. Just the backyard, some other some other pictures other than what was just posted online because it's very clear the guy who was there have the same feelings of i don't want to mow so i'm gonna do everything back here that's not mowing <laughs> and then <laughs> and then you know just forget about it and then it will become overgrown anyway because you know that's that's a separate thing but yeah i i i know i won't i'm not i'm also just not uh i'm one of the believers in the i think the lawn's gone too far <laughs> i think people have lawned too much <laughs> To the point that you shut your mouth, especially in Iowa, right? Um, where do you know what business we work in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't even know why this is a hot take, though, because nobody can disagree with the fact that we've lost an insane amount of natural habitat. And I'm not saying get rid of the lawn entirely. I'm not one of those people. I'm saying you can have a lawn, and then you can have a place for pollinators, and those are not two ideas that oppose each other. Those can coincide with one another. Mm-hmm. I think I want to do that too, but I don't know how the pollinators will feel about the um, chemicals I spray in the air to prevent the mosquitoes from coming. Well, they won't. (laughs) (laughs) Mowing the lawn is where I get a lot of my business ideas, but also um, I, there's problems with it too. Like I've been dealing with a mole slash vole problem for like the last month and or month and a half or something like that to the point where I have started like competing with my neighbor, Michael, on like how many moles we kill, except I'm at a staggering zero. And I eventually called it. I don't know. I've seen him walk away with two bodies, which sounds awesome. Like when I say it that way, but it's just he caught two moles. Um, But I haven't caught a single one. I eventually a a company I was complaining to my dad because my dad was in town and a company came over, just knocked on the door and solicited and was like, Hey, like we handle pest control. Like, can I help you? I'm like, we already have a guy that sprays for mosquitoes. And he's like, what about anything else? Like, I was like, well, if you can tell me how to do, fix my mole problem, then great. So we walked around my backyard and he goes, it looks like you have a vole problem, which are like field mice, but they use mole tunnels and they also dig their own tunnels. Wait, hold on. Vole? Yeah, vole. It's a mouse? Yeah. This is all completely it's like a, new to it's me. It's a field mouse. It's like a, they're field mice. I'm Googling it right now. All right. Vol- How do I spell it? V-O-L-E? Yeah, Vol- they're cute. in lawn. Okay. They're cute, but I want them dead. Okay. Let's see pics. Oh, they're kind of chunky. Yeah. They're cute. They kind of look but, like a rat almost. But again, I want them dead. I have no problem with, like, with them like living under my yard. But as soon as they start pushing up the soil and killing the roots and like creating these tunnels, that's when I get angry. Um, Wait, but so he was, they can't dig the tunnels. Yeah, they right? can. Yeah, they, they absolutely can? can. Yes. So... This is all brand new information. So the the way that you know it's a mole or a mole is because it's usually like a mole mound um, and certain exits. The way you know it's a vole is because they are uh, like just like 
you just find like little tiny holes in the ground. They almost look like, I don't know, snake holes or something. And then you see like the trail with it. But moles, voles, and shrews all use the same mole tunnel system. So like usually the moles will do the hard labor and they'll dig through everything. And then the moles or the voles and the shrews will utilize those tunnels and then also like build their own when they need to. But the biggest difference is moles are insecticides. So they eat bugs and like worms and grubs and voles are herbicides. So they'll herbicides, herbivores and insect, insectivores. They are herbivores. So they will eat like roots and other plant stuff under the soil. Uh, they're also smaller than moles. So like what I have in my yard is mole traps and they trigger the mole traps all the time, but they just squeak right through them because they're designed Sneaky. to kill moles. Yeah. So we have like these two black boxes out in the yard Again, it's half an acre, so like we're like we'll start with like two two boxes and see if it works. But there's one, I like I've like whittled the lawn down to one vole. Like there's one vole uh, that is causing havoc in one area, and he doesn't care about the black boxes. But they're kind of far away, so when they come back next month, I'm gonna have him put a third one and put it there. But the boxes don't kill them. Like they they have bait in them, and they go in there and they eat the bait, and then they get very dehydrated and they run away because they go try to find water. There's no water on the property. Unless there's a water table they have access to underground somehow. But um, they'll run away and they come back. And the first thing they do is go, ooh, more food. And they eat those they, they eat those pellets and they just keep running away. And so we're seeing how that works. And so far, it's been pretty effective in, in most areas except for that one area. And so, like, I remember I, I got mad the other day. And, like, I, I went, I, I stopped the tunnels down. And I was like, well, that's annoying. And then I went inside to like grab a drink of water and then like use the bathroom or something like that. And then I came back out and the the, the tunnels that I'd stopped down were pushed back up again. I was like, you son of a bitch. And so I took my pitchfork and just started stabbing it in the tunnels and I didn't find anything, but I was mad. <laughs> I mean, you probably knew that it wouldn't work, but it didn't change the part where you still wanted to do it and try. Yeah. <laughs> there, well, there's a, what old farmers used to do is, like you, they would stomp down a, a mole tunnel and then they would put a lawn chair out with their pitchfork and just wait. And then as soon as they saw the ground move, they just stabbed the pitchfork down. Really? Yeah. This but is, I don't, I don't think it works with the world. Yeah. I didn't even know that vole was an animal until this and kind of well, cool. Did, did you know a field mouse was an animal? Yeah. I mean, I that's what a vole is. Did you read the rats in them? You see that no. movie too? Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a good one. But um, no, I've been I've been like it's been really funny because I've been really obsessed with the lawn lately, and I was just telling you that like I dethatched my entire lawn, I'm like basically starting over, but dethatched it, and so now it's like really bare and scraggly. It's almost like my lawn had a comb over before, and now like combed it all up, <laughs> like, and now there's like bare spots everywhere. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, so now we're gonna seed and fertilize, and I I played the placed the seed out there, and then the fertilizer I did one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet and i did like the formulas to measure out my lawn and then looked at the nitrogen phosphorus potassium ratio on the fertilizer bag that i got and then calculated exactly how many pounds of that fertilizer i needed per thousand square feet or for the entire front lawn really and then applied it and now you're and then doing I, this out of order i think you were supposed to have a kid and then you buy the new mm-hmm. balance shoes and then you get interested in the different kinds of mowers and then you get to the grass. <laughs> I want to start a lawn care company. And so like this is like my my trial and error of of seeing how it all works. And um, but I I now like I'll walk Lauren out to her car and then I'll like I'll flip the sprinklers on. Cause right now while I'm seating, I do manual 
overrides on the sprinkler because it needs more water. And um, I'll just turn the sprinkler system on and then I'll walk her out to the car with like my um, my <laughs> my nice like fleece dad jacket and my shorts with my slippers and my cup of coffee in hand and then give her a kiss goodbye or right before i do that i just like look at the lawn and admire it and she's like this this is a whole view and then when she came home i think yesterday i did the exact same thing like i had the garage door open and i was messing with the sprinklers and then i was like oh hi honey <laughs> but i was here's like a, here's a transition Are you ready for this yeah you said you wanted to start a lawn care company. Do you uh-huh. want to mow the lawns yourself? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> but I, I, I do. I do. So here, actually, I don't. I don't forever because eventually I want to just manage and run the business and even turn it over and just be you know a majority shareholder of it and then turn it over to another CEO. Um, there's a long play here. I'm not going to get into exactly why I want to do this. But there's it's a multifaceted reason instead of just starting a lawn care business. But I know where you're taking this. So um, you want me to say it? Or you want to? Yeah, say it? go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you have the people, of course, who say, you know, I don't want to get stuck working in my business. I want to always be working on my business. And there's truth to that. I'm not saying that's not true, but I, I do have beef with people who don't realize that early on you're doing both, and that is unavoidable. There is no way around that. And in fact, if you are starting a business and what you don't know how to do the work in the business, I don't know how you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I like I know that there are some people out there who do it. Right? I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's impossible because anytime you do that, somebody will prove you wrong. Go do it. Cool. Right. I'm just saying personally, I've never met a successful entrepreneur who started the business, who only worked on the business without ever working in the business and in, and by doing so, never knowing how to do the parts of the business that are most critical as an actual service. If we're talking about a service business, right? Sorry, I thought you had more. <laughs> no, nah, that was it. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I my biggest gripe with that is that I see this a lot in the agency space where all of these, I think, younger, like kind of almost like self-help agency gurus are just like, you know, you need to like hire your VA or hire your media buyer or hire, you know, your, your, uh, what do they call them? The high ticket closers or their closers or whatever. And that way you can work on the business while they all work in your business. But first of all, you're contracting all your work out. So nobody's actually working in your business. You're paying people to, to outsource labor, uh, which isn't in your business. And second, there's no, real way to work on your business unless you do the legwork in your business first and then get out of there. And I I just hate that there's this negative stigma with, you know, working in the business and being an owner operator. Like the best businesses that grew that started from nothing and grew to something huge was exactly that. Like mm-hmm. you I, I hate to like bring like the superlatives in, but like um Jeff Bezos with Amazon. Like there's pictures of him working in his I don't know if it was a garage or like a back room or something like that. Yeah, we've seen the pics, right? Yeah, he's got on his, his and yeah, on mm-hmm. his computer and just a bunch of books and just like you know, like he's he's he's, he's selling, man. Like every business started like, like Steve Jobs was was in his garage or something like that. Always owner operator, and then you know, eventually you go and get out of it. And 
it just frustrates me because as soon as somebody says, I want to work on my business, and then they start focusing on how they can do that immediately without even making the first 10K a month, then I already know they're destined to fail because they're not willing to put in the work of you know working 16 hours a day for mm-hmm. a month or a month. That's laughable for five <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. When they, when they come into and they say, look, I'm not afraid to do the work. And what they actually mean by that and what's implied is I'm not afraid to do work as long as I like doing the work and it's within my realm of comfort. But they're actually afraid of doing the dirty work, which is the important work. And that's problematic because a lot of arguably the most important parts of the business are not sexy, right? Um, And that's what you have to be okay with doing. I told you you with Data Studio. I just I was straight up honest and I'd tell you sometimes like, hey, I'm avoiding this because <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to do this. This is not a good time. I I'm unhappy as I do this, but I still did it and I had to do it. Somebody's got to do it. It's important. And that's how it goes. Sometimes you just say, uh, yeah, the only person who can really do this is me. Um, so, you know, put your head down and, and get it done, even if it's not exciting and, and fun. And yeah, it's, that is unavoidable. I think. I feel like, uh, the biggest, they're like two, they're like, they're like, it's almost like a bell curve of people who engage with this. There's like the people who are just starting their agency from nothing. And they're just like, they, they keep hearing all like the Grant Cardone and Gary V crap where they're like, Oh, I gotta work on my business. I gotta work on my business instead of in it. And then you have the people who are at the top who are like, no, no, no. Like, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta put in the work, you gotta do all this. And there are people on the other side who are like, have like investment businesses who are like received a bunch of seed money from investors. And they're just like, all I'm going to do is work on the business. And they never actually worked in the business. And then ultimately they end up failing. Uh, yeah. Not to make this an offshoot, but I talk about this quite a bit with people, mostly in person, because it's not one of those things that goes well when you discuss online, but uh, people just assume with what we do, that we have a lot more in common uh, with a lot of different people in business than we actually do based on the structure of things. Cause I tell people all the time, like, look, we're bootstrapped. We're small. That automatically takes us out of VC world, external investor world, um, cash infused business world. Like it's instead of a startup, it is just small business that is bootstrapped and that, that is completely different from we have a board and we meet once a month and we have to handle board politics and everybody has fancy titles that are three letters. And, you know, that's different. That's very different. And it's like you said, I think the how do you how do you tell people where they stand or that the advice that they're listening to isn't applicable yet to them because they're either not yet in that position or maybe they'll never get to that position? How do you say, you know, at this point in time? this is what you should be listening to. And that these other things that people are saying, it's not that they're wrong. It's just that you're not ready for that. Or you already went past that. You don't need to listen to it anymore because you figured it out. That sort of thing. I think um, statistically, I think most people don't need to hear, get out of your business so you can work on it. I think most people need to hear the opposite. And then the people who do get to a point who actually need to be told, hey, you're, you're trapped in your business and you need to start working on it. Those people, that's not the majority, statistically speaking. Now, maybe that's better advice in general to give to them because they've already proven that they can build a business that is at least um, enough to employ themselves. 
and that's that's an accomplishment right um that's that's already hard um but if those people prove that they can do that then maybe the people who are talking about this work on your business instead of in it are saying look i'm not talking to the entrepreneurs i'm not talking to the the wannabes the people who haven't done it yet i'm talking to the people who are already there who have already said you know i've hit that 10k whatever it is um if we're talking about agencies that's a good spot for it to be 10k month mr gp monthly recurring gross profit and then you say okay uh yeah i'm in a i'm in a bind i got to figure out how to now start that transition of getting out from in business and start working on it but you're going to be doing both while you do that i uh, I also had kind of something to say to that 10K for our agencies. Like at 10K, once you get 10K a month in MRGP, that's when you, I think that's kind of like around when you start recognizing, hey, I need to I need to take steps to eventually get out of my business. And that's not the that's not the point where you jump because we've been at I mean we've been at that baseline for what two years now, and we're still in the business. But the difference is is the work that can be offloaded at that 10K mark is what we call like the monkey work like it's 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 very kind of tedious monotonous work that can just be kind of pushed off to uh, someone you hire whether it's one or two people internally and then you start dealing with like more custom requests and more and not necessarily custom but more you start being able to take on clients with bigger with bigger budgets and trying to figure out how to grow that but also you know not just do the r&d but also do the execution on that research and development so like, like like a good example is hey we have processed out basically our entire onboarding process except now that we've integrated uh, Looker Studio yeah we just broke it it's an agreement <laughs> yeah the entire onboarding process is broken now so while it's broken now Cody and I are like okay so we're gonna switch from building websites on uh, development sites where we have to update our host file to access now we want to do it on subdomains so we can do live uh, live edits and not to send screenshots over to clients. Because if we do it now, we can now update the entire onboarding process from like, you know, start to finish. But the whole subdomain thing, like switching to subdomains instead of dev sites, that is something that we've got to come back into the business. And we have to start working on that with the minions. And then we have to like this whole Looker Studio thing that Cody was talking about. Like, yeah, it's still technically working on the business because we're advancing our reporting software. But at the same time, it's working in the business still. And you, if you, but you can't, we wouldn't be able to do that if we were still doing some of that monkey work at the, you know, mm-hmm. at the 10 K mark. Now, when I think you should start actually wor- worrying about like literally getting out of your business and just like doing like sales and, um, you know, just promotion. I mean, you're probably not hitting that until almost a million a year. And yeah, I, it's comical when people come in and they're like, I've got a team of three and I'm out of the business. I'm like, what? <laughs> you got three people. They're doing everything. Like, what? <laughs> and, and you think you think cur- you're good with three people. You have a secure, stable business. You can just check out. That to me is precarious, my friend. And that is the word that I, I use is precarious because I say it to you all the time. You know, I'm like, eh, I look at, you know, various, it's not that our financials themselves are ever precarious. It's that the, when you, when you're forced to analyze risk and say, based on what we are hoping to accomplish with our current state of financials and taking into account, you know, how small we are, I think being small is precarious no matter what, right? You are at risk because when you're small, any minor change makes a big difference. If you have, uh, you know, 
three employees, like we're saying. So when people think that they're solid and you lose one, there you go. That you just toppled. <laughs> you, you don't even have a hierarchy at three employees. Like right. there's like the three and then there's you. That's not a hierarchy. That's a family. <laughs> family. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> like what happens when you, the agency gets thrown a curveball? And this is something that someone who has equity or skin in the game has to handle. Like that's that's you. And obviously, like at some point, you can argue that that's you know still working on the business. But it happens more and more once you start to actually grow past that 10k mark. Because we've said it before, zero to 10k is easy. And like it sounds hard when you're not at 10k when you're at 1k. But once once you hit that 10k mark and you're and you're constant there, you're like, wow, that was easy. And what Cody says all the time is what's hard is 10 to 100K. Mm-hmm. And I'm a firm believer in the people who say 10 to 100K is hard. There are people above them that say 100K to a million is hard. And then <laughs> yeah. it just keeps going on. And so uh, one of our listeners on a podcast, Brian, he reached out to us and recommended another podcast that he was listening to that made him think of ours. And it was the um, My First Million podcast they had uh, like episode 488 or something like that they had andrew wilkinson on who i think he was the writer of um the subtle art of not giving an f wait that was mark manson mark manson they had mark manson on oh they did oh that was a different episode that was an episode after yeah they had mark manson on afterwards but then right before that they had andrew wilkinson on who um does a bunch of other businesses and he has an agency uh but he um he was talking about the profit first system and it reminded him uh it reminded brian of us because we talked about it a lot and what was funny is in this in this podcast like these guys are like ultra wealthy comparatively to us like they've got you know publicly traded companies that are trading almost a billion and uh they when they say things like they haven't not that they've said this but like when they say things like you had to get out of the business and work on the business like they're talking about ceos who are like doing five ten million and and when they say small companies, they're talking about companies that are doing like ten million in revenue. Like that's a small company to them. So like to us, like if we're doing over half a million, like we're nothing. <laughs> we're like a drop in the bucket. So mm-hmm. when even when we say like, you know, at that million point is when you get out of, you know, working in the business and you start working on the business, there's probably people like Andrew Wilkinson and like those guys on um the my first million podcast who are like dude millions way too small like you're still going to be in there in the weeds yeah that's that's a different world i have not much interest in if i'm being honest (laughs) (laughs) i this this keeps coming up i think more in life because we get older and then we meet more people and stuff and i just i tell people i i say my my way of saying is i don't want that big of a life i i don't i like having I like, I want to be a hobbit. I want to stay in the Shire. I like my relatively simple um, life with, because uh, it is, it's all comparative and it's all respective to the scale that you're comparing to. And um, yeah, that's, that's bigger. But I did want to say that regardless of size, getting, getting to this point of transferring knowledge and information takes time. Uh, and by time, I don't mean like a month. I mean, years, realistically years. And you can accelerate that as much and as hard as you want to work um, without going crazy and as much as you're able to focus at your computer. Um, but, you know, do that while trying to balance your health health to some extent, because uh, <laughs> I've done both, right? I've, I've done the 16 hours at a computer every day um, and had health problems as a consequence and, and accepted where you say, okay, I'm just going to temporarily neglect my health. 
<laughs> I'm going to put this on the side, put it on the back burner for a while, and then I'll come back to it. And that's okay. That's one way you can do it. Or you can just uh, take the L for a little bit and say, look, I'm just going to do it slower, right? I don't need to do it this fast. But no matter what, it takes time. And there's there's time to document and be able to transfer the knowledge just in that simple way. But then there's also transferring of knowledge in a teaching way because uh, building up good people takes time. And I'm saying building up because if you're starting out and you're starting out with your money, which you don't have, then you have no choice but to build up people. And it's really unfortunate when you've met lots of very cool and talented and smart people in your life. And they say, Cody, give me a job. And you say, uh, I can't afford you. <laughs> um, you know, if you want to make peanuts, sure, comparative to, you know, where you're at professionally now at this point, then yeah, by all means, come over. But realistically, you just say, look, um, we can't. We, we are in the, the position and business of having to build people and make people professionals and into their careers, not poach them yet. Um, and that's a, that's a later level and a later thing. But in the, at the beginning, it's you have to build people and you have to build them up. That takes time. And I have a, a big belief in, in philosophy with that. And it's that the reason you document the work is to transfer knowledge and get the work done as quickly as possible. After that, you take the time to nurture and teach them based on things that they want to know. Um, the things that they didn't understand about the processes that they were doing. Um, and you dedicate that time to building them up because when they do the work, they don't have to understand the work. You can document things so that people do them without ever knowing what they're doing. And then you can come in afterwards and say, here's what happened. <laughs> here's what you did. Here's how it worked. And, you know, what questions do you have so I can help you better understand this, but doing both of those at the same time, uh, is a major time sink, a major time suck. And it's going to take you four times as long as just documenting it. Here's get the, here, get the work done. And then, and cause you're also going to have different levels of employees or different ones with different levels of interest where they're going to say, I'm just going to Google this right after hours. That was me. I just, when, you know, I would do something and then seven to 11, like I said, I went home and I Googled it because I didn't know what was going on and I just wanted to know it better. But most people aren't going to do that. <laughs> um, most um, are going to want to be taught on their time, understandably. Um, but yeah, sometimes you will get those rock stars. I'm a big Googler. Last night I was, was it last night? Yeah, last night I was looking up two things. I was like, one, do noise canceling earbuds actually protect your hearing? Because what they do, do you know how they work? No, this is, the. Uh, it's not quite vol for me. Vol, you know, like we talked about, I'm like, I know peripherally about this. The vol was just completely new information. But okay, so, so noise, noise canceling headphones, the way they work is when they, they emit an opposite frequency that mm. blocks out the incoming frequency. So I was like, well, I could see a world where they don't work. In fact, they make it worse um, because it's just frequencies being blasted in different directions. But then I can also see a world where like, yeah, it does help. And so I looked it up and I was, yeah, they actually do reduce frequencies incoming into your eardrums by like 20 to 30 decibels. Um, but still not enough for like your safety stuff. So I was just curious because I'm on the lawn and I was like, what if I just got noise canceling headphones? The other thing was, I was like, um, wait, so I, are you mowing the lawn with ear protection? Do you have the, no, I, well, I have an electric mower, so it's already pretty quiet. Oh, okay. But I had another question too. Like what are holdings companies used for? I feel like every big company has one. And I'm like, why? Like, what's, what, 
what are the benefits? What are of you this? holding? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I felt stupid, and I was like, I I feel like I'm in business, and I should know what this is. And like, I I generally do. Like, generally, they're like parent companies uh, that own the subsidiary companies. But like, why? Like, what are all the benefits? And so then I went down that rabbit hole. And well, enlighten us. You can't just say that. <laughs> no, because that all sounds stupid. Because I feel like I don't know all the answers. Okay, here's what I know. What I know is that you typically have a holdings company that is the parent of multiple companies, and then um, the you can the, the biggest the, the biggest benefit is like the holding company can transfer assets and capital to other companies without you know it's basically a tax loophole kind of. But the you can there's like tax benefits to consolidating all of the taxes into that one holdings company and then dispersing it from there. So like if we had multiple Evergrowth properties the tax from one Evergrowth property, like the profit, the holdings company would be like the, the share, like the owner of that company, that subsidiary. And then it would go up to that. And then from there, the profits get distributed. Mm. So makes sense. Yeah. And there, I'm sure there's other benefits too, but uh, I just very vaguely went into it. So that was an offshoot. Um, there's something you said a while ago about health that I wanted to touch on, where it's like, you can like sacrifice your health or like mm-hmm. go slower. And I think most successful people like, uber successful this isn't like uh advice but i think the most successful people usually take the l and have their health health take a back seat because you always look at people like zuckerberg or uh bezos who were like when the company was expanding and like rapidly they just look like fat gross and old <laughs> and like zuckerberg is not old he's like 36 37 like he's pretty young mm-hmm. and but then like you look at him now and like bezos uh, i don't know how good he looks with a shirt off, but I know Zuckerberg has got like a six pack. Like Zuckerberg is rocking that uh, MMA body, mm-hmm. and Elon uh, Elon Musk's Elon Musk. Like I think he's always going to be large and in charge. But <laughs> <laughs> but like they get to that super successful point where like they're finally like mostly out of the business, and if anything, they're just in like litigation and board meetings. And then they're like, okay, so now I'm gonna start like working out a lot. Like Alex Becker from Hires. He's, I follow him on Facebook now and he like two hours a day, he practices jujitsu. And I think like that's not just his workout routine. He also does workout. I'm like, dude, this dude has so much time to hit the gym because I bet he's hardly in the business right now. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of like, that's like the path that I want to take too, and just like grow uber fast. And then like, yeah, I work about my health later, but like, I want to look good in my thirties too. Like, I don't want to wait till I get to 40 or 50 and just have like the, you know, the saggy old man abs. Well, I think everybody will get a reality check, too, because it, if you get to 40 and you've neglected your health entirely without any sort of major health event, I think you're pretty lucky. I think uh, it, I mean, maybe you're not uh, ever what, what people self perceive as neglecting is a variable, right? Because some people there's a difference between uh, I'm not working out and then I'm not cooking and eating Twinkies every day. <laughs> like that's that's a very different uh level of neglect and one's going to have much bigger um a much larger impact on your life and i think if you're doing the twinkie thing you're going to be faced with um confronting your health sooner than later um by force not by choice when when do you like to work out during the day what's the most optimal time where you're like i want to work out at this point now yeah. like right now because yeah so I'm, I'm back in classes again. The only time that I get any sort of exercise in is at the end of the night. No, that's, that's, when, that's when you have to, when would you like to, in in the perfect world, 
Oh, do you like to? It's written off, dude. I mean, that's. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I, I mean, don't know. Maybe never. this is important too for people to understand. Um, you get to do anything, not everything. So I have a very short list of things that within my 24 hours, I allow myself to do. And when I, when I'm back in classes, exercises at the very bottom. So, um, I'm, I am taking that consciously and understanding that there are things that I want more than to be super fit and exercise. Um, and I can do minor things like now, such as wait till the end of the day. And if I have time, go for a walk. But other than that, no, but, it's just not. You're not answering list. my question. Pretend you have nothing on your plate. You, you, uh, you're scotch well, free. You're, you're scotch free all mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. At what time in the day do you go work out? Would I want to? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't mean much for me. I can, I guess, probably later. Why? Do like, you, like must, you have a specific time for you. Like you're like, this is what I like. Just yeah, right say. now. Right now? Yeah, it's noon. Right now. Noon. Mm-hmm. Noon is my ideal time to, to work out. Because so I I went I worked out this morning. And the reason why I hate it is because I hate eating out of bed and I'm not energized. And I feel like if we had a like a supplement sponsor, this would be the perfect time to plug them. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't. Who is it? Hey, hello, fresh. <laughs> <laughs> What's no. great? What well, here's here's what like I don't that. like. Like even like the pre workout stuff. Like I don't like working out after taking that because if it's a running day, for instance, I'm running and my legs are just itchy because like that pre workout is coursing through my veins like venom and like it just it's just like so itchy on my legs so i don't like taking pre-workout i'm also not awake um i don't have the energy that i have but then right about noon right now i feel like i can go like move a car (laughs) and like so i want to go work out but i'm like i already did i don't want to waste more time so yeah noon for me yeah i don't know it's hard i I get into the i just accept like in my brain i think okay new new stage of life i'm just putting a dark line between previous things that I was doing and what I'm, I'm able to do now. And then I can't, it's even hard for me to imagine otherwise, um, which is, it's dumb. I know, but people will ask me questions. Yeah. Like that and say, okay, if you could, I'm like, well, I can't like, I know, but I'm just, if you could, I'm like, I know, but I play along. <laughs> <laughs> like you're the worst kind of person. I'm like, I know it's, I have it's another, I have another hypothetical for you. Okay. But it's back on the topic I'll of the podcast. Okay. Is there a point in which you would ever start a VC funded company? Mm-hmm. Not, and not necessarily VC. We could do an angel investor too. So for the listeners not familiar with, with those two, the difference of VC is usually a, an actual company that invests in uh, small businesses. Whereas like an angel investor would be like your dad's rich friend. <laughs> so would I start a business with somebody else's money? Yes. No. In not even like any like perfect scenario. No, you can't I really imagine don't. anything. I, I don't get along well with others. It's uh, already a miracle that we get along enough to do. What if this, it was my money? Right. Uh, well, we're partners, <laughs> right? But that, that doesn't count, right? <laughs> because you're going to be involved then too, and I think that's a partnership. But if you're just saying, "Hey, somebody else is going to give you money to start the business," uh, no, no, nah, hmm. no, thanks. I don't. Yeah, that's that's the big life. That's the complexities that I just don't want to to deal with. And I know I'm limiting myself in some ways by doing that, but I'm also okay with it. I think you got to know, know yourself well enough to know that the environment that you work best in know um, because there are people who are the inverse, right? Where they say, look, if, if I have all that pressure, 
of doing it myself with, with, you know, starting from zero and no funds that I'm just not going to do it. Right. I need at least the quick dopamine fix of having the, the cash infused so I can hit the ground running. Well, there's a reason why most like startups, not in startups, but most people who start from the ground up, like without any funding and just do everything bootstrap. There's a reason why they only do that one time successfully. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they start investing in other businesses and they start becoming like that, the actual investor because well, you're not going to live long enough. <laughs> That's the truth, right? I mean, I, I believe it. I think if you, if you go from zero, uh, to one with a service business. And then, you know, you see that money as the opportunity to now take things to the next level. Why would you do that again? It's not a good time. Not in the early stages. Like it's, we're having fun now. There was a time when it wasn't that it was still fun. Uh, it was less fun, (laughs) (laughs) but I I I don't want to go back to the, the ramen noodles by obligation. Or by force, I like ramen noodles by choice. That's yeah, a fun but thing. but you live in a different like personally. You live in a different mindset because like when I choose to start my lawn care business, it's like yeah, I'm I'm doing it from the ground up with no initial investment except a thousand bucks is all I'm going in with. What I don't have to come home and eat ramen noodles because I have a nice healthy paycheck coming from Evergrow. Mm-hmm. And but what does <laughs> what does get me off? <laughs> Is starting over and just being a very crusty bootstrap blue collar company. And sometimes I feel like sometimes in my life, I'm like, man, like um, when I was like starting fresh in like Kansas City and living in an apartment alone with my dog and like, you know, just like learning things and like, you know, building my my decor and just like my living room and all this stuff like that was fun. And Mm -hmm. In its own way, right? Like I much prefer my life right now, uh, remodeling my house with Lauren and and doing all this and, and growing exponentially. But like the early stages where every step was like super tiny to me now, but it was big to me then. Those were fun. It's like it's like playing Skyrim. Like you can play for so long and then basically like you know <laughs> one shot everybody and you know have millions and millions of gold. But then you always find yourself starting the game over. Because it's just fun to start from nothing and build something up again. And that's kind of how I'm seeing this. But then at the same time, having the safety net of coming home and being like, well, I'm not broke. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just having fun on the side. Yeah, I see the advantages to that. I think that there's having a broke mentality in the best of ways. I don't mean broke mentality in the bad ways. I mean, having the urgency and never forgetting what that was like is a good thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what keeps you driven. Uh, I think there's also ways to artificially create that. Uh, like starting over on Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, whatever whatever you have to do, right? Something that uh, worked for me earlier on was just, you know, you, you have your bank account that's visible. And then you have savings. People do this with their retirement all the time. They don't know what's in their retirement, right? They're like, I have one, but I don't see that as money as I can touch. So it's not actually money. It's not visible. It's not real. So you can just do that with your savings or something like that too. make it so that it's not it's not visible. It's not something that you find or believe is accessible. And then you stay hungry. Do you know what I do with so I've started saving again, Mm. which which is I feel like a shock for some people thinking that I don't save (laughs) like I have nothing in my savings. I started saving saving again because I suck at it. And not saving money and not, I don't suck at not spending money. I suck at putting money away and allocating it towards like 
actual savings. And so what I've started doing is every dollar that I spend that's not essential. So like, you know, not rent or not like utilities or whatever. This includes gas. So like every dollar that I spend that's not essential, I match it and I put that in savings. So whatever comes into my my personal revenue account, into my bank account, I immediately look at that after I subtract all my expenses and just say, I only have half of this available because the other half is going into savings. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, yeah. I could just do that right away and then just spend everything down to zero. But then the act of having to actually transfer the same amount of money over to savings after I spend something makes me want to buy less things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is... This is a, it's one of those things where it's like watching a movie where you're like, this is interesting and I can't relate or self insert at all because this isn't how I think or because you just put 80% of your stuff into savings anyways. (laughs) Yeah. I, you're just like, (laughs) please. I've just never, well, I, I remember being in college. We had a, there was a guest, we had three guest professors that were, I don't know how they were doing it. They were like applying for the job. So we had to, or we didn't have to, we received guest lectures from them. And there was one guy who said, and I remember nothing else from any of his, his talk or what he taught us. But I just remember him saying, yeah, but you, you grow into money. Right. And I said, no, no, you don't. (laughs) Most people do. Yes. But you don't have to do that. It's not something that just happens to you. It's something that you let happen to you. you what was he trying to say like you as you get older you get more money just he was saying that as your salary or your income increases you just take your lifestyle to equate it and equivalent it to whatever income that you're earning lifestyle inflation oh. right um, yeah whereas i've just mine's pretty fixed i i'm already living the life that i want for the most part uh and then the the bigger things just they're not They have to be secure and stabilized. So, for example, um, the eventual goal of living here, living in Japan and having a business in Japan as well, having work there, uh, I have to get to a point where I can stabilize the income for that in a in a baseline way. Uh, And uh, some people just want more. I'm not asking for a lot with that. I just want to be in Japan. (laughs) <laughs> i don't i don't need a big house here don't need a big house there um but yeah i think a lot of people just uh well either they, they do he, he's not wrong that was some i should admit he's not wrong because most people do that most people just take whatever raise they get and they adjust their lifestyle to now accommodate the income that they're receiving um but they're also some people just enjoy spending money and there's nothing wrong with that that's what money is for Right. Uh, I go too far in the opposite direction, but there are the people in the opposite end who don't like spending money. It's not a fun thing. It actually makes me very anxious and it's not a good I time. I don't like spending money. I just like having things and doing things. <laughs> and, and spending money is an unfortunate consequence of that. Consequence. <laughs> I, uh, but backing up to this whole internet thing, dude, I am so frustrated. I have um, Xfinity or Comcast and I like they left like my internet has been going out like crazy and i'm wired in not even wi-fi i had a thousand megabyte download speed or 1200 actually uh, with fiber and then like they jacked up my rates after being on with them for a year from 86 dollars to 124 dollars a month and yep. I, what not only was i having internet outage issues yesterday but then i looked at my bill and they're like 
oh yeah, we're going to charge you 44% more next month. And I was like, this is ridiculous. But like, I've been having like these weird, like internet cutouts every now and then. And I just, we just had this now and it actually shut our, shut our whole recording down. And so now like we did restart it back up and like, I called them and I'm like, dude, I can't handle this internet outage crap and I can't handle this $124 charge uh, coming up for internet. I don't even use that much. So they're like, oh, well, we'll, we'll right size it. So, uh, they well one i'm getting they right size it down to 400 megabytes download speed and i'm getting 179.3 right now and so i was like i'm just, i should just go to t-mobile it's 50 bucks a month and it's like 280 some megabyte download speed but the, this is I mean, so- you should have a ton of options in your area right being in middle minneapolis ville i wish i had verizon but Verizon's not over here like their internet my sister does and she's in maple something maple grove um that is one thing i really miss about there's not a ton that i miss about cedar falls but uh cfu is one of them because i don't know i I remember that that made national news didn't it back in the day yeah cfu cfu and cedar falls it was like the first fiber installation in the world and like the it was second to or not second qatar was second (laughs) so like Obama had flown had flown out to Cedar Falls to like congratulate him on on fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, even before that, Cedar Falls is actually one of the first places to actually have um, what was it cable internet? Really? Was it was it cable? Was it, yeah yeah because everywhere everywhere else had dial up. So uh, well, yeah. they're doing it through the the city, which I think was the one of the biggest surprising things is that the city decided, hey, we're gonna figure out uh, fiber, and then they did. And it kind of just showed people that, hey, it doesn't have to be private companies that are doing this. You can have local, you know, small local municipalities just decide that they're going to make it happen. And then they did. Yeah, it was it was great because it was uh, it was cheap and it was good. (laughs) Never had problems with it. I'm actually really excited uh, because right now we really don't have options. Um, But so technically right now we're in Iowa City proper um, and then we're going to go to we're going to be in Coralville which uh, is no longer Iowa City proper, but it's still, I don't even know why it's a huge deal because I, I'm pretty sure that even parts of the campus of the University of Iowa are in Coralville. So like, that's how close things are. We're not even yeah. going to be that much further out. So, um, but being in Coralville, we're going to have way more options for internet and not awful ones that are going to be gouging us too. Same thing with, um, uh, yeah. Mediacom. That's who we've got now. I remember in Japan too, I asked them how much they pay for internet and it was like nothing. <laughs> they, don't, they don't pay hardly anything at all. It's pretty brutal. But then I hear things about like Australia, um, mm-hmm. their awful uh, download speeds. And I think, well, I, I guess it could be worse. I also don't know. <laughs> From Australia, please tell us now how good or awful the state of your internet is. We talked with Mike Begg about his whole internet thing, or I guess why he's in Mexico. And he was just like, ah, it's mostly because of the internet reliability. Like we tried Colombia, tried other places in the Caribbean. And it was just like, we would have random internet outages and mandatory breaks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, But yeah, like right now, like it's struggle, it's struggling to keep up. Like you're all fuzzy, you're like lagging, but hopefully like Zencaster pulls through and it like pulls in, but I've got to leave Xfinity. Xfinity, if you're listening to this, you suck. I hate you. Jeez. <laughs> We're going to get an email. Hey, we want to sponsor your podcast. No, get out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to switch to T-Mobile because this is ridiculous. 
Cool. Anyways. All right. Sorry. I'm angry. We should, uh, we should end the podcast before I say something I regret. <laughs> that was on my notes. Uh, look, you're going to be working in your business for a while before you get the opportunity to work on it. Um, opportunity isn't even the word uh, before you should. <laughs> and if you, I think if you go too early, you're going to find yourself right back inside of it again too. So it's not bad to grow slow, take your time, get your processes worked out, find good people, take the time to train them, build them up as people. Uh, and then, you know, eventually you will get to the point where you will be on your business and then you can do jujitsu for two hours a day <laughs> until then, put your head down. <laughs> yes. Prepare to work. So, all right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. See you.